Hello and welcome to the India Energy Hour. I am Sandeep Pai, a former journalist with Hindustan Times and now an energy researcher at the University of British Columbia. And I'm Shreya Jay, journalist with Business Standard newspaper in Delhi, writing on the energy sector. Together, we are really excited to co-host a new podcast on India's energy transition, the India Energy Hour. This podcast is hosted by 101 Reporters, an innovative news agency that connects grassroots reporters and media houses to bring out untold stories. The show is produced by Tejas Dayan and Sagar of 101 Reporters. In this podcast, we want to unpack and document India's energy transition. We will interview leading energy, development and climate experts from academia, civil society and the government. Through these interviews, we will explore the most pressing hurdles and promising opportunities in the energy transition unfolding in India. We will examine the role of government, finance, social justice and science. Over time, we will feature other countries of the global south as well. Last month, leading car manufacturer General Motors said that by 2035, it will only sell zero-emission vehicles. Many countries around the world are banning the sale of internal combustion engine cars and embracing electric vehicles. In India, the government and leading car manufacturers are also planning to go big on electric vehicles. While these efforts may help make electric vehicles the future of mobility in India, there are several roadblocks that need to be resolved to unleash the true potential of electric vehicles. In our fifth episode, we spoke to Sumant Banerjee, senior journalist and associate editor of the Business Today magazine, about the current and future prospects of electric vehicles in the country. Sumant has researched and written about the Indian auto sector for well over a decade and is considered a leading expert in this area. Hello Sumant, welcome to the India Energy Hour. It's such a pleasure to have you today. Uh, I mean, we were colleagues for some time in Hindustan Times and you know, one of the things that fascinated me always was like your passion for cars and how you would always sort of review different cars and stuff. So, uh, welcome. Welcome. We are really excited to talk to you today. Thank you. Thank you Sandeep. Uh, pleasure to be on this fantastic uh, new platform that you are that you have built. I have uh, heard a couple of uh, podcasts that you have created and it's very fascinating, very in-depth and I'm sure uh, whoever listens to it he gets a pretty clear understanding of all the all the topics that you hit upon. So great work and absolutely thrilled to be here. Okay, great. So let's let's get started. So before we get into sort of your, you know, talking about cars and EV and other stuff, um we just want to talk about you, Sumant, right? So you have been a journalist and writing about the auto sector for now what? Like well over a decade now. Um and you have reported about like from government policies to uh, you know car manufacturers, you have reviewed cars you've written from a consumer perspective um and you know but so that was your sort of journalistic journey but like before that what did you study how did you get interested in this sector i know that you are from allahabad and uh, you know how did this allahabad boy become so interested in cars and sort of now is recognized as the country's top reporter in the auto sector tell us about your story and journey 
so my story uh, as you as you told yourself i was born in alabad i did my schooling from there from st joseph's and cars is something that fascinated me right from my childhood uh, i was always uh, a little intrigued uh, that you know a man can move from one place to the other so fast and other than the just the fastness of it uh, it always fascinated me as an engineering product that uh, such a big huge vehicle and it could transport you in such com- such comfort and so many different shapes and sizes different engines uh, the lights everything it was very very fascinating and uh, since childhood as my mother can attest i was uh, always playing with cars i always wanted to you know get a touch and feel of cars i would always coax my my father we had a premier padmini then like most uh, people uh, around in india so i would always coax my father to go go for a ride uh, and so as i started growing up uh, this fascination only uh, became more intense and i sort of become became obsessed with cars i used to keep cuttings of various different models of cars even from advertisements that would appear in magazines and newspapers and uh, as i became as, as i turned into a more serious uh, person uh, later on in terms of education i thought about doing automobile engineering but then from a small town and in those days uh, you did not have too many options uh, to do hardcore automobile engineering you had to do a proper normal engineering uh, mechanical engineering of some sort and then you would probably uh, wish that you would get to make or build cars and so that was not to be because obviously my grades were not that great uh, to become an engineer uh, but as luck would turn out that i chose literature in my later later years uh, as a, as a means of education and from literature i came into journalism in and in journalism luckily i got to do automobile journalism where i could again you know go back to my real passion about knowing more about cars and then i started reviewing cars so uh, i have been lucky that i wa- i'm doing what i love doing uh, i'm not building cars but yes i am getting to be as close to park cars as as is humanly possible driving different kinds of cars and uh, talking about different aspects of cars uh, and also about the policies that shape the whole automobile engineering in a very vibrant market like india so so that's what essentially is my story so just a just a follow up that's that's so interesting so which uh, newspaper or i guess news outlet did you start your uh, career with but also like you know when you started was cars your like or uh, the auto sector in general was your first beat or you know who which editor how did you get introduced to this sector okay so uh, i started out uh, in business standard Uh, as a corporate reporter but i wasn't covering automobiles then because i was a cub reporter and automobiles is a beat which is uh, uh, quite i would say lucrative and so it's only given to very senior reporters who have deeper understanding about business and economy and as a cub reporter obviously you don't have that so i started co- started with covering uh, real estate and textiles in this business standard but my stint at business standard was very very short uh, it was barely a year and from there i moved on to indian express which was a more general newspaper and indian express had a very very small business team and there uh, my editor was sunit arora and so he said that you know what all would you like to cover because we have almost everything that you can cover 
except for finance and commerce and telecom for which we had a couple of reporters so he said that you know the entire corporate is yours you can cover real estate you can cover automobiles you can cover pharma whatever you want to cover so i said that i would be very interested in covering automobiles because that's something that really uh, fascinates me and he said yeah yeah sure please do it but obviously alongside i had uh, many other uh, beats as we say also many other sectors to cover as well but then uh, you know uh, there is so much activity in automobiles any which way that uh, i got deeper and deeper into this particular sector knowing more people and my editor was also very happy with whatever stories i would bring and i would bring multiple stories because uh, you know if you have an interest in one particular thing then uh, you tend to get more stories and you tend to get more information you are automatically researching more and so that's how the story began that was in indian express and so i honed my skills i became a more uh, uh, established reporter as well i knew the i got to know the ins and outs about journalism how to build a story how to make sources or develop sources and then on i moved to uh, hindustan times where obviously we met uh, as colleagues and as you know hindustan times is a more mass to mass kind of a newspaper where consumer interest stories and consumer facing stories uh are given more credence and that is where uh, automobiles get got an even extra fillip because whatever you do which car is going to get launched which cars are doing well uh what new technologies are going to come in those kind of stories did very very well so uh i became more established and then i got kind of stuck with this automobile beat and i established myself here Okay that's that's so fascinating I mean you have worked with some of the top newspapers covering this topic uh, okay one very you know sort of like a fast question um, how many cars have you reviewed you know over the years no i i have not kept count of it must be in the hundreds uh, must be too many uh, so almost every on a on a weekly basis i'm like uh, driving and reviewing in in the heydays of uh, hindustan times i was doing almost two or three cars every week uh, now it's down to probably i drive uh, one car a week uh, more leisurely spending more time with the car uh, so there may be so many it's been over uh, 15 years now so uh, too many cars too many cars and i'm uh, uh, i would say touch wood i'm not uh, i'm not complaining <laughs> okay uh- Okay this is finally I'm just fascinated so uh when you review a car and you know sort of your review is say neutral or not good for the company how do they react like beat any company you know from maruti to tatas or whatever like how do they react to your reviews and are they like mad at you and how do you handle all that so uh, yeah once in a while uh, they would get uh, mad at me uh or they would uh, show their disappointment that oh no you know you really you say a lot of nasty things about the car and you have to understand that it's like our baby and it takes so much time to develop and uh, then make and uh, you haven't made any car in your life so how do you know uh but i'm like it's okay you might be i mean for the company they are always a little biased about their own cars obviously uh, we are always always biased about our own things and similarities with them i have to be a little neutral and i have to also always keep in mind about the consumer that's the first port of call that i am writing for the consumers i'm not writing for myself i'm not even writing for my editor i'm writing for my for the consumer and i would have to always keep his interests in mind and so when i get inside a car the first thing that i look for is uh, what is wrong with the car i know it's a negative way of looking at it 
because whatever that impresses you in a car that is that becomes very very obvious as you drive the car as you spend more time but the first thing that i look for is what is what is it that the car where the car can improve or should have been improved is the plastic quality good <clears throat> does it ride and handle well uh, is the power del- delivery linear are the brakes working so things like these and so once you get a sense of where the car is not working then writing a review becomes easier because then you are trying to focus more on oh this is not working so uh, can we get to the bottom of it why is it not working so that we can also send a proper feedback to the company saying you know maybe the suspension could have been tuned a little differently so the car handles better and becomes safer etc etc or the build quality could be better uh, or maybe some of the other durable aspects of the car so that you know it ages well kind of thing so yes the sometimes the manufacturers do get a little nasty and they do get uh, a little you know angry uh, but then so it is uh, so it is so no problems uh, it's part of the game how did it feel when you first time tried an electric vehicle were you excited and how did it you know uh, felt different from driving you know petrol diesel and you know cng cars if you can tell us about that experience after that probably then we can go and ask about electric vehicles oh the first electric vehicle that i drove was way back uh, in japan where i drove one of the fuel cell vehicles of honda and uh, that was very very nascent and uh, you know we were not i wasn't even so uh, i would say well informed about electrification of cars i read about it a little bit but we weren't talking about electrification this is this is back in 2007 or 2008 if my memory serves me right and so it was very very fascinating because the first thing that caught my attention was obviously there was absolutely no noise and Uh, we are always associating noise with a car and if you ask me then i also like the noise of a car you know the, the way the engine revs and some of the some of the high end cars they have a very sweet noise and it's always uh, you know the it's always associated with a car so to not have a noise at all it was slightly unnerving that oh are we moving at all because this hardly any noise so the only thing that you hear is probably the the tires rumbling on the tarmac and that's it, that's it there's no engine noise there's no noise otherwise so it was like a, a monk in a ferrari kind of thing and the other bit was the, that the acceleration was really something because uh, as technically uh, one would say that you know an a motor an, an ice uh, an internal combustion engine uh, it uh, accelerates in one particular way which is a little staggered and which is why you have so many gears whereas uh, the torque curve in a electric vehicle is very very linear you get everything at at one go so it's it's like a rocket and so it takes you back and you get to you have to spend some time to get used to it and it is really really exciting because even in a very small or a or a budget car you are getting the acceleration of a very very high end car so it won't go very fast in terms of speed probably but uh, the initial acceleration is almost as fast as some of the supercars so that was really exciting yeah i i agree matlab the noiseless part of electric vehicle is something that is very interesting something that indians are not used to on the road so i don't know if it is true but i have heard that some of the two wheeler makers electric vehicle two wheeler two wheelers uh, makers are now putting different kind of noises in the bikes right so that it makes a kind of a sound when it starts you know to give the feel for the rider is it true Yes that is correct uh, they are looking at that because very simply uh, this is a very very alien concept and uh, we are 
as a nation, we are very resistant to any kind of change, good or bad, bad whatever it might be. So, for the sake of just continuity, they are saying that you know we will put in some sort of a noise. Also, uh, because a lot of uh, J walkers that we have around, and this is a very very populated country, uh, they associate their road behavior in terms of the noise that you get from vehicles on the road. So, if you don't get any noise, they probably think they are not looking all the time. So, they probably think there's nothing behind me or there's nothing, so I will cross the road. So that also is a, is a is a concern that if a vehicle does not make any sort of noise, how are the bystanders on the roads? How are they going to react? They will probably just jump in front of a car or a two wheeler. So it is also that from that angle that they are saying that we should put in some sort of a noise so everybody knows that there is a vehicle running around and they should be a little more careful. So it's a mix of both, uh, uh, but ultimately it is about your behavior pattern that you how do you associate vehicles and the noise is a very intrinsic part. And EVs will have no noise, so they are putting in some sort of a noise, so that uh, you know everybody is a little more at ease, and that okay, this is ultimately a normal vehicle. Let's move on to now electric mobility. Uh, the vehicles don't make noise, but the sector sure is. Uh, you know, globally EVs are being so much talked about. Even in India, there are some great ambitious plans that were made. Companies are now talking about it actively. Uh, General Motors recently said that it uh, said that it will sell only zero emission vehicles by 2035. Uh, a lot of countries are going ahead and banning the sale of internal combustion engine or ICE, as you mentioned in the future. Uh, so, if you can tell us, if you can drive us through the journey of this sector, how it has evolved in the past decade, if I may say so, in India. And if you can explain us what different types of EVs are. So EVs, essentially, uh, there are two, three different different kinds. The first one, obviously, are, um, are sort of hybrids where, uh, you know, you have a mix of uh, an engine and uh, an electric motor. So that's the first only basic kind of a EV, which is not entirely zero emission, but it has substantially lower emissions as compared to a, a hardcore combustion engine. Uh, but uh, then, then you have uh, battery electric vehicles, which are pure play electric electric vehicles, only electric motors, uh, powering vehicles, and then you have different kinds of uh, permutations and combinations as to how you refuel or, or recharge the car. So you can have a plug-in hybrid, uh, or you can have a fuel cell vehicle later on where where you use hydrogen. So those kind of vehicles. So essentially, different ways of recharging, but ultimately the car is always moving or being powered by an electric motor. So that's essentially what an EV is. And the journey of EVs globally and the journey of EVs in India is a very different path. Uh, globally, obviously, uh, it started out uh, in the Nordic countries, uh, Norway, Sweden, Denmark. That is where uh, most of the EV, EV development of the initial, initial stages happen, happened. And then the kind of uh, inflection point it was was reached when China came into the picture, and uh, China simply went ahead and uh, banned uh, ICE two wheelers, and they said that only electric two wheelers uh, will ply on our roads. And then, very quickly, they have moved on to electric trucks and electric cars, and it is now the largest market for electric vehicles because China does things in a way that nobody else in the in the world does, and so they have completely uh, you know placed their bets on EVs. Uh, as a future of mobility in the world and invested in big time into batteries, invested into uh, cobalt and nickel mining in the, in the African nations and Latin American countries. 
and they have completely uh, you know energized and developed uh, the EV infrastructure around them with charging stations and bat- bat- batteries being swapped etc and so basically china is driving the ev market right now even uh, us has come into the picture and you have tesla which is making a lot of noise uh, elon musk has done great things on the software part of evs uh, making it very quirky and cool which was very essential for a new technology not just to have its own strength as a technology but also the cool quotient uh, so elon musk is doing for evs something which is very similar to what steve jobs did uh, with smartphones and smart uh, appliances at apple uh so that is how it stands right now everybody is looking forward to evs even in india in the last 5 years there has been a lot of a uh, lot of talk more talk than action actually but uh, there has been some action action as well in two wheelers we have seen many new startups come up uh, many companies have invested uh, in electric cars the movement has been a little slower none of the main mass market car makers except maybe Tata Motors has really shown their skills in EV, but it is it is taking off. So, if I can just say that yesterday, uh, Volvo unveiled their first all-electric uh, car for India. Uh, even though they have many cars uh, worldwide, and they were the first ones to say that they will go complete electric by 2025 or 26. Uh, but in India, they showcased their first car, which would be. Uh, launch sometime the first deliveries will be made sometime in october this year uh, so very often we are now uh, going for press conferences where uh, electric vehicles are being showcased and shown to us and invariably even if it's not an ev event the talk is always about evs so even if we are going for a random uh, normal car launch we will always ask those co- that company about their electric vehicle plans so it is now on top of everybody's mind and the questions that i get asked these days is also a lot on evs so even consumers who are looking to buy another car they would uh, invariably ask me whether they should consider an ev right now or not so it is on everybody's mind everybody is thinking about that and i only think that it will gain momentum and acceleration as we go forward there's no looking back on this great i mean i i have a follow up and probably it's a very basic question but i think just for the sake of you know our listeners who may not be fully aware about the sector so among the different categories of ev you know two wheelers four wheelers commercial vehicles which segment or three wheelers um, which segment is growing the fastest and which segment sort of you think will have the maximum growth in let's say the next 5 years Okay, so uh, the segment in India which has really taken off in EVs, and I just got some information yesterday on the current trend, is actually the three wheelers, and this is something that uh, escapes our attention because we have three wheelers all around us, but uh, we don't really notice them because they're not so cool actually. But three wheelers have completely electrified themselves, not completely, but uh, majorly. You have all these small tuk-tuks that give you last mile connectivity from a metro station to to your home. Uh, or from one locality to the other other locality 2 km 3 km radius types and you have these electric three wheelers that are flying around these days and uh, uh, like i said yesterday i got information that uh, electric three wheelers now accounts for 36% of sales new sales in india and it is more than uh, any of the other permutation combinations so you have petrol you have diesel you have also cng Uh, so all of those combined, obviously, that makes up sixty-four percent. But in 
in isolation now evs in three wheelers is bigger than any other any other fuel type so that is one change that we have already seen uh, but three wheelers is a very small in terms of volumes in india uh, the other big bet and which is everybody considers the low hanging fruit is two wheelers that two wheelers is one segment which can potentially almost overnight change into evs provided you have the right product and uh, at the right price and uh, with a decent range because uh, typically two wheelers they don't ply they don't cover too many kilometers every day they are only based uh, inside the city you travel from one place to the other but only within the city you don't travel from one city to the next other city too much in a two wheeler some people do but that's that's a minority most of the two wheelers are only uh, only for uh, uh, traveling within the city so if you have a decent 100 km range for a, for an electric vehicle you can easily shift to a to a two wheeler uh, given the high petrol prices that we have these days and i consider that petrol prices will remain high uh, in future whenever so the attraction of electric vehicles uh, given the low cost low cost of ownership uh, almost negligible cost of refueling uh, will be very attractive also electric vehicles for two wheelers is something where you can have uh, swappable batteries very conveniently so you can easily take out the battery which weighs something around 6 or 7 kg in a two wheeler a small two wheeler and you can take it up to your place and get it recharged or you can swap it with another battery it's very easy it's a little more cumbersome for electric cars so that is what people say and india is a very big market for two wheelers uh, almost uh, what 20 million two wheelers being sold in the country every year so this is a huge market so even if you get a decent slice of the pie uh, going forward you will have a proliferation of evs all around us so the attention obviously in terms of uh, mind space is more on electric cars because they are obviously sexy but it is actually two wheelers that can uh, be the harbinger of this whole ev revolution that we are talking about and what about the four wheelers and commercial vehicles where is where are they at like uh, you nicely explained about three wheelers and two wheelers but what about the you know the private cars as well as commercial vehicles so in commercial vehicles there are obviously two aspects one is buses and the other is trucks so in buses already um, various state governments and uh, you know the transport uh, authorities they have given out tenders for electric buses and uh, the response has been very encouraging we have got some very low bid prices for that uh so they have moved on uh, to electric uh, electric buses uh, in bits and starts but there has been a start made trucks long haulage vehicles uh, there uh, i think it will take a lot of time because very simply these are uh, these are for haulage uh, vehicles where you carry freight from one state to the other state you're traveling very very long distances maybe 200 250 kilometers every day and so recharging is an issue and you will need a huge battery uh, for these kind of trucks and they will take a lot of time to get recharged and where do you recharge there's no there's no absolutely no infrastructure so for trucks it will take a lot of time uh, some companies like toyota tell me that their hunch is that for long haulage vehicles like trucks it is much better to have uh, hydrogen fuel vehicles where you can simply you know tank up the hydrogen 
and uh, that chemical reaction gives you the the electricity for the electric motor and so that is where they see uh, is the future for uh, for freight trucks uh, but then that's also in a development phase so we don't really know what will happen but uh, given the way evs function i think in trucks it will take a lot of time i'm we are looking at 20 years maybe before you can really have an electric truck doing the rounds in india on a regular basis and this is also a segment which uh, changes very very slowly so you will have very very archaic old trucks on indian roads some of them are even non bs emission vehicles which are still on the road uh, which is why we are not talking about scrappage <coughs> incentives and scrappage schemes for commercial vehicles so this is a segment which changes itself very slowly because the cost is an uh, is a is a impediment and a very unorganized sector we don't have uh, very many very many big players with lot of haulage trucks with them so small small transporters with maybe one two or three trucks very small incomes so they will not like to change very uh, very soon so this is a segment which will lag now as far as electric cars is concerned uh, obviously infrastructure is a challenge where do you charge and we know uh, the reality in india is that people don't even have very proper demarcated parking for themselves they just park wherever they find space now if you have an electric car you will need a proper charging point so that you can charge overnight or you need a charging point in wherever is your office is because the car will need to be will, will need to get charged so that is a big a uh, big handicap which people are facing and so the movement has been slow but uh, there is lot of talk about community charging stations etc etc so a lot of solutions being found about so i think maybe in another 5 years time you will see some decent movement in electric cars in india great uh, i have one more question and and then i will pass it on to shreya uh, tell me give me a sense of who first of all is different kinds of evs currently manufactured in india or is india like indian manufacturers importing you know sort of like most of the parts and then just assembling it like how what is explain up the manufacturing uh, you know sort of like the uh, the manufacturing space uh, with regards to ev in india who is manufacturing which companies and who is importing and just assembling etc okay so interesting uh, part about manufacturing uh, see there is uh, the biggest problem in manufacturing in ev is obviously the battery and globally it is china which has become the hub for uh, battery manufacturing and most of the batteries these are the these are similar to the batteries that we have in our smartphones which is lithium ion battery in a bigger format and so these batteries are coming from china mostly uh, or you have countries like taiwan and korea and japan which are making a little bit of batteries so they supply the batteries all over and this is uh, if not anything then it cost about 50 to 60% of the cost of a vehicle is the battery in india we have very limited options for electric cars right now uh, we have the hyundai kona we have uh, uh, there is a car by morris garages uh, zs and in recent times we have a few few products from tata motors and mahindra so the cars that are being uh, sold by tata motors and mahindra they are in a way we can say they are being manufactured here uh except for the battery pack which comes mostly from china uh in a, almost a, a complete uh, packed format uh but most of the other things the electric motors and the suspension and the steering columns 
the body panels etc so they are all being made in india because that's very common to the other parts uh, the uh, the other cars that we have here so so tata motors and mahindra are making in india uh, but hyundai kona is a is a complete import uh, it's imported from korea uh, zs ev from mg is a complete import they imported from uh, from uk and then you have the high end products like last year mercedes launched their first electric car the eqc uh, which was being import which is being imported from germany so these are complete imports there nothing nothing is being manufactured in it it's not even being assembled here these are all coming in as straight cars uh so we have three four cars which are complete imports and then we have uh, cars like from tata and mahindra which you can say that they are being manufactured except for the battery in terms of cost as well the the again another inflection point will be when we really start making batteries here in india and this is a very very capital intensive difficult part of the game because uh, manufacturing lithium ion cells is very expensive you need a uh, very high tech factories and lot of capital to be invested also generally this is a tough business because you don't know how what kind of battery chemistry and bat- uh, what kind of battery will be there in the long term so you can invest in lithium ion cells today but maybe in 5 years time it may become redundant and so all the investment that you are making today may not give you the returns that you are looking for so it's a difficult call to take china can take it because china always had a you know the, the export component in mind and they have been they one of the largest exporters across the world as an economy so when they make a battery they are also exporting like they are exporting to india they are exporting to to, to the us they are exporting to all parts of europe so the export component is very high unfortunately in india we don't look at exports as proactively as china which also sort of you know handicaps us when we make a business case for any high capital intensive kind of business so that could be a potential game changer when we actually start making batteries but there are some some uh, deep thinking needs to be done on how we get about that uh, now that we are talking about what's happening in india uh, let's start with what policies are there in india to promote electric vehicle uh, you know there was this very famous policy called fame that was launched by uh, indian government some time back and had had ambitious targets you know we were looking we were talking about 100% electric mobility by 2030 then obviously <clears throat> it was dialed down uh, if you can tell us about this particular policy called the fame policy which was launched by the center government central government uh, some time back what does the policy is all about what is its ambitions and targets and how far we have come when it comes to this particular policy okay so fame is uh, obviously the flagship scheme that we have in india right now uh, which talks about which gives out a lot of incentives uh, to different categories of evs and which talks about how evs can proliferate in india uh, now the success of it uh, is a mixed bag uh, there has been some movement uh, as sales numbers also show and as i mentioned that in three wheelers for example evs have taken off but evs haven't taken off so much uh, in two wheelers and in cars obviously there are issues so it will be slow and the government also realizes that so uh, from a point of view of what the policy makers are thinking we know that uh, there are some central ministers like nitin gadkari then we have uh, niti aayog ceo uh, amitabh kant who are very big proponents of ev because they see it as a 
as a one-stop solution to a lot of problems that we have. So these problems are obviously climate change. India is one of the most polluted places in the world. In the world, and we are facing the brunt of climate change. The, the summers are getting hotter. The winters are getting more severe. Uh, the glaciers are melting, so you have uh, some natural disaster or the other are high up in the Himalayas. Uh, so we are facing the brunt of it, and the need for us to really reform ourselves is very acute. Uh, EVs is one solution because you completely transform the mobility sector, which contributes significantly to air pollution. Uh, our cities have be- are becoming uh, unlivable because of bad quality of air. A lot of people die because of uh, respiratory diseases. So again, EVs help in combating that and also uh, we are we are an oil importing country 85% of the oil that we use uh, is being imported from the middle east so uh, that's a lot of uh, foreign exchange going away so again if you are if you are shifting to evs then you don't need to burn oil you don't need to import oil so that helps the government exchequer as well so which is why a lot of talk is there uh, but Typically, the thinking is this that uh, there is no coordinated effort or coordinated policy being framed. So, one ministry somewhere sitting somewhere is doing something, the other ministry sitting somewhere else is doing something completely different and there is no coordination between the two. So, the movement in the policy framework has been very haphazard. It's not very uh, well, well aligned. So, initially... Uh, We had people who just came out of nowhere and said that, you know, India should go completely 100% EV by 2030, taking cue from what we were hearing from Europe, for example, where London said that, you know, we will ban all kind of ICE engine vehicles by 2030 and some of the other developed countries in in Europe also saying the same. And so we also said, yo, if they can do it, why not us? And so people started making those kind of noises. And then there was obviously a pushback from various other parts of the society including the manufacturers, automakers, who said that it's simply not possible because India has very different realities. India is not a very developed country. And our uh, our purchase decisions, the, the per capita income is low. The cars that we have or the two-wheelers that we have in India are one of the cheapest around the world in terms of price. So this is a segment, this is a market where, uh, you know, you cannot have EVs available at that same price. And the government also does not have the kind of capital which is available in other developed economies, developed countries. Uh, so you cannot incentivize so much. So the incentives that are there in Germany or Nordic countries or even China, they are humongous compared to what we have in India. So there was obviously a pushback saying that please don't, please don't even think about that. Please don't even talk about banning, for example. And uh, that is a very disconcerting uh, trend that we have in India where government thinks about banning things, which is, I don't think is ever a solution. Uh, Rather, you can frame policies so that one technology becomes automatically redundant and the other policy and the the other technology gains ground instead of simply saying that, oh, we are going to ban this technology and we are only going to promote that other other technology. And so that is where we stand. Uh, So yes, fame two, there was fame one, one uh, earlier, uh, which had a very limited corpus. And then in fame two, uh, it was more, uh, the money was more 10,000 crore rupees and it was divided into different segments, including for charging stations, etc. Uh, but the trend is that obviously because also because of the pandemic, uh, it has been a little slow to take off. We are lagging behind fame to targets. But 
I think even if you miss fame to targets, it's not a big deal because nobody knew what pandemic was going to do to to world economy. Uh, but there is need for a more organized, concerted policy framework. There should be a different ministry or maybe a different minister who just thinks about EVs because this transformation is a once in a lifetime kind of a transformation. There will be a lot of work to be done from across the board, and there are lots of issues. with regards to how we have built our economy and how this transformation is going to hit even government finances for example so there are too many things involved there is the the power distribution companies because they would become the petrol pumps so to say of the future when you are charging your your car from the grid then you have uh, the fiscal responsibility because you are taxing oil and getting a lot of money so if oil is not being consumed and everything goes to electricity how is government going to going to get the money from so too many things to think about too many jigsaw puzzles so somebody needs to just sit down and put everything together and make a clearer picture out of it yeah i, I agree on that because uh, that is one major issue with ev as you mentioned there is no single nodal ministry even i get confused which all ministries and who all handle electric vehicle uh, you talked uh, briefly about the fame scheme uh, faster adoption and manufacturing of electric vehicle uh, which came into two parts fame 1 fame 2 fame 1 had this humongous uh, amount allocated to it uh, to, 8, to the tune of rupees 8 billion or something if you can just briefly tell us what did fame in the first place set out to achieve and this amount that amount of money which the taxpayers are paying was allocated to it what was it used for and i'm sure you must have investigated has it been used at all and where it was used what is what does the money allocated to fame does fame one was really the first big initiative that the government of india has had taken for supporting electric vehicles in india uh, it was started in uh, april 2015 and initially for a period of only 2 years which was subsequently extended uh for two more years and it continued to be in place uh till the end of fiscal 2019 but uh, that was really the time when the government was just in a way dipping its toes into this this category trying to frame policies and the corpus and also the targets were Uh, much more humble i would say uh, in in all about 530 odd crore uh, were spent under fame 1 in those four years and uh, as far as the number of vehicles uh, that were subsidized under the scheme uh, they were uh, roughly about 2.8 lakh uh, electric vehicles mostly two wheelers and three wheelers very few uh, in a, in a matter of a few hundred cars were incentivized and on top of it about 500 odd electric buses were also incentivized under fame 1 uh, but uh, one big difference between fame 1 and fame 2 was in fame 1 there was a scheme for uh, hybrids as well so hybrids were incentivized by lower taxation and uh, some of the mild hybrids of those of that time got benefit benefited out of it and maruti was one of the biggest beneficiaries so was mahindra now in fame 2 it is a much bigger scheme uh it is in place since uh, april of 2019 and uh, it will last till end of 2022 so roughly one more year to go and it's a much bigger scheme so when i said uh, fame one had a 
allocation of just about 500 plus crore. Fame 2 has an allocation of 10,000 crore and it is much more uh, detailed. Uh, the targets are much bigger and also there are various different components attached to it. So you have uh, incentives for demand creation. You have uh, some, some element given to even charging infrastructure, which wasn't there in Fame 1, not very specifically. So in Fame 2, like I said, uh, the overall corpus is 10,000 crore and the targets are very, very specific. So 7,000 electric buses, about five like electric three-wheelers, 55,000 electric four-wheelers, and uh, the biggest chunk obviously is 10 like electric two-wheelers, which is, like I mentioned, is a low-hanging fruit. And the government really wants uh, a lot of focus there. So as of now, as we can see that in electric three-wheelers, we will be probably close to that figure uh, under fame two. Buses, we, are, we have lost some momentum because of COVID. As also in the case of two-wheelers electric, uh, we are losing momentum because of COVID and because of also because of a lot of uh, terms and conditions that are in place as to which are the vehicles that get incentivized. So if I can just give you a number that uh, as opposed to 10 lakh electric two-wheelers that are supposed to get benefited under FAME 2 by the end of March 2022, as of now, as in end of calendar year 2020, so 1st of January 2021, uh, only about uh, a little over 30,000 two-wheelers have been benefited under FAME 2. So the gap is massive. We are, we are not even a tenth or close to a tenth of what the target was set out to be. So seriously, there is a need for even more acceleration, more consistency in policies, more engagement with the, with the industry. Uh, and so that there are no, no creases that need to be ironed out after the policy has been announced, because if, if that happens, time and time again, then you will have a situation as is the case in FAME 2 where the targets would not be met and instead it will be missed by a huge margin. So that really is the key, which is the key learning for the government and for us as spectators that where the policy is lagging. So we are lagging on all of these parameters except for three years, we are lagging everywhere. And that has got to do only with the fact that, uh, like Shreya mentioned, uh, there is not one particular minister or one particular ministry which is 24 by 7 thinking of this. And that is what is required. You need somebody to think on this every day, every moment, every minute. And that is not happening. So whatever little issues that crop up from time to time, uh, be it in taxation, be it in infrastructure hurdles, etc., they are not getting addressed uh, very in a timely manner. And which is why we have these delays. And for a nascent technology like EVs, this is not very desirable, I would say. You need immediate fix, fix to problems that, are, that crop up and there will be problems. And there will be more problems as we go forward. As we go into hardcore manufacturing, there will be lots of issues. And we need proper government support and we need proper industry support. And unfortunately, that's not happening. That's actually a really great segue for my next question. Which is like, like you mentioned, you know, there is no coordinated effort. Uh, there is no uh, sort of like one minister or ministry who's thinking about this issue. And there's other 
obviously a, a new technology has many many challenges so give us i mean you talk to so many manufacturers like you talk to car companies etc give us a sense of what is the inside scoop what are they thinking like i mean one thing is that they will announce things but what are they really thinking about the ev sector uh, are they confident that you know or they're just doing like a wait are they just playing a waiting game or they are and watching government policy like give us insights into different manufacturers you you may wish to name them or not uh, which is totally fine but we just want to know like uh, like what what is the manufacturer side of the story so uh, from the manufacturer side uh, you just said it yourself uh, when you said that whether they are all playing a waiting game so that is exactly what they are doing uh, they are they are on a in a kind of a wait and watch mode uh, they all have electric vehicles in their global portfolio so hyundai has uh, you know uh, volkswagen group uh, in, increasingly they have they will have more uh, mercedes has bmw has uh, honda toyota all of them they have electric vehicles in their portfolio so uh, and also uh, that making an electric vehicle the tech side of it it is actually very simple lesser moving parts easier to produce uh, so it's not rocket science it's actually much more uh, easier to make an electric car vis-a-vis uh, an internal combustion engine vehicle uh, which was really really complex and so uh, it's it's a no brainer that making an ev uh, is a no brainer but whether you want to bring it in because you will have acceptance in the market or not that is a different game and typically manufacturers look at uh, how prepared are consumers more than the policies they look at policies of course because that's what drives them or that's what controls them but they are more concerned about whether the whether the market wants evs or not and that is where uh, the current trend is that probably the market is not ready for evs the consumer he's thinking about evs but he knows that oh we cannot have an electric vehicle because where am where am i going to charge and this is something that uh, manufacturers know very well so they will all they have all made noises because the government wants them to talk about evs the government wants them to bring out evs and which is why you have these hyundai konas and the mg zs uh, and the tata motors nexon ev or the mahindra e verito you have all these products there in the market so that the government cannot tell them that oh you are not doing anything about evs where where is your car for example so they will all say see we have the car but they are not selling because you know the incentives are not enough or the infrastructure is too slow or there's no charging points and you're not you're not doing anything about it so it's a bit, bit of a you know a, a slinging match between the two that sometimes the government will ask manufacturers to make a presentation and then they will completely steamroll them saying that oh you're not doing enough and the other times the manufacturers will get back to the government and say that oh you promised that there will be a x number of charging stations for example but where are they and it's a chicken and egg solution kind of a problem that if you don't have charging stations you will not have evs but if you do not have evs then why do you need charging stations so it's a peculiar problem where you need uh, the government to come in step in and uh, so that is where it stands that manufacturers are waiting they are waiting and watching and looking at it, at it very very keenly i can say they are very interested because ultimately they don't want anybody else to come and start making evs and take away their market and this is ultimately their market their their industry and like i said the technology is an easy technology so uh, it's it doesn't it in, involves a lot of investment in battery but other than that rest of it is all very 
how should I put it, very conventional engineering, the electric motors and the car will still run on tires, it will still have a suspension, it will still have seats, it will still have a steering column, those kind of things. So these are all common parts which you, are, which you already have. It's just the battery part and the engine goes away and the exhaust system is no longer needed. So a little bit of configuration is required, which manufacturers are, have already done, done. There will be more EVs being launched globally. In India, it's been slow. And like, if I can point out to a case in point uh, from Maruti, which is the largest market uh, player in India, uh, a lot of, lot of people look at what Maruti is doing and decide where the industry is heading. So Maruti announced initially that they will have an electric version of the Wagoner. Uh, and they would launch it in 2020. That was the initial uh, announcement they made. Then they said that, oh, the market is not ready. And so we will not launch it in 2020. We will launch it, launch it in 2021. Now this is 2021. And now Maruti doesn't talk about that at all. So it's you can take it for granted that this year also that car is not going to come. Even though, even though the car is ready. So it's not like the car is not ready or, you know, uh, there is some more work to be done. That's not the case at all. The car is ready. I've seen it. It's going around town um, in Gurgaon where it's being tested for kilometers on end to look at the range and look at <clears throat> some of the other aspects of the cars for testing, etc. Uh, but Maruti is not does not want to launch the car yet, which gives you a clear indication that uh, the market is not ready. The consumers are not ready. Great. I, I mean, just a quick follow up to that. Uh, so, I mean, recently Tesla also made a lot of noise, right? Uh, tell us about what that whole story was and is Tesla really serious about Indian market and are they going to manufacture here or, or it's again going to be like the import story and sell it in the Indian market? So Tesla is a very interesting uh, case study because uh, they don't have anybody in India. They don't, they don't have, uh, they have identified an office and where there will be people sitting in Bangalore. Uh, but we don't know yet what is going on in Elon Musk's mind. Uh, if you look at uh, some of the tweets that he has made about his uh, India entry, these are very, very monosyllabic tweets, just three or four, four words and that's about it. What what we do know is that uh, behind the scenes, Tesla is lobbying very, very hard for some very deep incentives from the government, especially if, you, if it has to manufacture the cars here. Now, uh, the government obviously wants Tesla in because it will be a big shot in the arm for, uh, for India as an economy. If you have Tesla coming in, manufacturing cars, uh, it will also give a lot of boost to the EV ecosystem in India because Tesla works at the cutting edge of electric vehicle technology but tesla wants some very consistent and focused incentives and they are they know that indian government uh, has a tendency to flip flop and they are wary of that and a few years back uh, elon musk had tweeted that you know the taxation in india is way too high and so we cannot come into india but this was 2016 if i am not wrong but taxation policies haven't really changed since then. And this is, this is we are talking about import duties. And initially, Tesla would only be importing cars into India. They cannot manufacture here because simply there's, there's no volumes for a car like that. If you're going to price a car at 30, 35 lakh, uh, you will not get huge volumes that, that justify any manufacturing here. So initially, it will be imports. Now, Tesla wants that, you know, give us some kind of a huge rebate so that we can price it 
low and there is some acceptance of the car and that will you know in a in a way be the precursor to us setting up a factory here so that's a graded staggered manner that any manufacturer wants including tesla but the government as of now has not given them any assurance but that's what behind the scenes is happening we i personally don't have any idea really about what is the interaction going on what i gather from other manufacturers is that for example uh, some of the other luxury car makers they are a little scared because they have also been lobbying and the government has been saying oh we are not listening to you but they are scared because they know that government is listening to tesla and closer to when tesla finalizes their plans based on what government uh, assures them or offers them there will be some movement and probably this will happen later this year uh, so i know for a fact that there will be something but as of now what appears is that they are just setting up an office here they will do some back end uh, it work some software development because bangalore is the hub for software so they will do that here and a lot of work can come into india because india offers a uh, very affordable talent for this uh, some of the global work for software can can happen in bangalore and they will probably have a purchasing office where you will look around and maybe buy some parts for their electric motors some high end high end uh, appliances that go into an electric car uh, but the, again the big puzzle is the battery and they are setting up a giga factory in china now india wants them to also set up a giga factory in india uh, for, by tesla but that is where it is getting stuck a little bit because tesla is not sure so there will be there will be action uh, but exactly what will happen and what kind of incentives will india be offering to lure tesla in and uh, how it will play out uh, is something that we have to look out for so when you mentioned about the challenges you said that tesla uh, as a company is wary of policy flip flops in india uh, apart uh, from policy uh, you know let's talk a little about infrastructure as well you know once in a while these concerns come up that is india's grid be able to handle the kind of electricity demand that evs will put in and is is our distribution infrastructure in place for that one major concern that comes with ev is that can it be taken out station because there would there be any charging points or would there be you know a distribution network that supports electric mobility so if you can tell us a little bit about how much the back end infrastructure for evs prepared in india and if the governments or companies uh, are working something in that area sorry before great, before great you question. start yeah. uh, before yeah. you start just to add one more slice to this question i was wondering who should build the infrastructure should the government build or the manufacturers build like who should build right like what's your opinion no great uh, i think both are very very valid questions and thank you for asking these questions because this is something that uh, people don't talk about too much and these are uh, very big challenges so uh, shreya reports on uh, on the power sector very regularly she knows the how the health of the power distribution companies are right now the kind of debt that they are carrying on their books the kind of reforms that are required uh, it's very clear they are not in the pink of health and uh, if all the cars or or a, a significant portion of cars and two wheelers are going to be plugged in then the entire infrastructure the the power distribution network that we have in india it will have to change it will have to become smarter and way smarter when i say that because uh, i'll give you an example a few years back Uh, ola uh, the the cab aggregator they did a pilot in nagpur where they had a fleet of evs and they set up charging stations in 6 or 7 days so to say 
and uh, then they one day they had all the six cars parked on the charging base and plugged in at the same time and the grid collapsed so that's just six cars and if that is what is going to happen and this was then 2016 uh, in nagpur i don't think it has changed too much uh, it is still the same so i when i speak to ola this is again this is a very uh, scary kind of a pilot that they ran and now they have debunked it so that is how we that is where we stand if all the cars and all the two wheelers are going to get plugged in at night peak power load will go up and you will have a collapse very simply put we are not equipped in delhi we are not equipped in smaller towns we are not equipped in villages we are not equipped so in once in a while somebody charges plugs in that's absolutely fine it will handle but if at the same time too many cars too many two wheelers are charging themselves which is going to happen at nights that you will have overnight charging being done for cars and two wheelers it will have a problem there will be peak load uh, factors that will just shoot, shoot through the roof and uh, you will have a huge issue at the, in your hands and we are not talking about it uh, the power ministry is not talking about it we need to have more flexible kind of a power distribution in india uh because these are also the economics of it is also very very uh, it will skew everything because if you have like a huge uh, peak load load factor but on an average day if the if the load factor is very very less then the economics doesn't work out you you have a bandwidth and you won't would, would want to use most of the bandwidth so these are all issues that need to be fixed there are case studies available in developed the developed countries as to how to do it but it's easier to do it in a smaller country where uh, you know where, which is developed and where there is a lot of capital to go around it is much more difficult to do it in a third world developing country where the complexities are huge but this needs to be fixed there's no doubt about that if it doesn't get fixed then we are looking at a very scary picture where you will have the cars on road and you will probably have a charging point at your home but you will not be able to charge because the grid will not take it and that is a very scary thing and i personally would not want any consumer to face that we have worked so hard in india to have some sort of a semblance of 24 by 7 electricity in major parts of the country now uh, we are not acutely electricity deficient and we it's taken a lot of hard work to get to this point we do not want to go back to a re, go back to an era where one big appliance comes around and suddenly you are you are without power you don't want to go back to those days and that is what we are headed to if we do not talk about this and we do not do anything about this so that is one the other part is who should be um, setting up these in, this infrastructure which i think sandeep asked now that's an interesting question and i wrote a piece for my for my magazine last year on the kind of business opportunity this is opening up uh, setting up charging points charging network it's a billion dollar opportunity right now we have around 55000 60000 petrol pumps around in the country now all these petrol pumps are basically what your charging station is going to be we will probably need even more because in a petrol pump your car or two wheeler basically takes us about 2 minutes to fill up or 3 minutes to fill up in a charging point you will be spending more time so you will need more charging charging stations and it's a huge opportunity it's a big business opportunity and anybody can have a have a fair play here you can have a, hardcore entrepreneurs or startups coming in which we are seeing so there is a there are startups who are tying up with kirana stores there are startups who are tying up with 
you know these big uh, big malls and multi- and and those uh, multi multiple chains etc uh, so there are startups who have a, who have who are investing there are manufacturers who are investing saying that oh we are selling cars now how good it would be if we can also sell the fuel because that's also very lucrative so there will be manufacturers who will have a play there should be government uh, the government should also have a play here just like government has a play in selling oil uh so and you will need government to take the lead in some some ways because government ultimately has a lot of money then you have big players who might get interested you can have the tatas and the godrejes uh and the birlas of the world who also might be interested in setting up charging stations you can have local level community charging stations some somebody in your locality he might think that oh i have got space and i can set up a charging point and i can make some money out of it so even that can become a good business opportunity so uh, everybody will have a play and everybody can make some money out of this and that that is the way it will be in india okay that's that's fantastic i just had one uh question about uh, i guess i i should have asked this question earlier but um give us a sense of what's the price difference between uh an ev car versus an ice car currently like on an average sort of what kind of difference in cost are we talking about from a consumer's point of view okay so see there are two again uh, there are two facets to this one is like i mentioned there are some cars which are completely imported into india like the hyundai kona you have the mg zsv then you have uh, the mercedes eqc yesterday what what i saw the volvo xc40 recharge which is their electric version of the suv that will also be completely imported so when you have a completely imported car automatically your taxation goes up so it's 60% import duty straight plus you have different other kinds of taxes so it goes up to almost 100% 110% and it doubles the cost of the car vis-a-vis if you are manufacturing the car in india which is the case uh, for for example the volvo xc40 petrol so that is being assembled in india so lower taxes and the recharge model will be imported so higher taxes so that skews up the economics of this so i will not talk about them let's talk about the nexon ev which is which you have a petrol and a diesel and also an ev version all being made in india so similar levels of taxation in fact for evs you have lower taxation because evs attract only 5% gst whereas a petrol nexon ev will attract 29% gst and a diesel will attract i think 32% gst so uh, you have some sort of a favor in uh, favorable taxation for evs in that case so nexon ev is priced very competitively as far as when you compare it to a diesel nexon ev as a diesel nexon so it it starts at about 14 lakh and it tops out at about 18 lakh or so and plus you have a lot of incentives going around so like delhi government gives you a 1 and 1/2 lakh rupee incentive you have Uh, some taxation benefit which was announced 2 years back in the budget where you take a loan against an ev and you get some tax rebate uh, for that plus you have a lot of waivers like state governments give you a waiver on road taxation and registration tax which you have to pay in a, in a conventional vehicle so nexon is a good example where the price parity we have almost reached we have almost there it's a very competitively priced ev but uh, when i am mentioning nexon i should mention about what happened last week with that particular car so you have a certified mileage of 312 kilometers with the nexon ev 
and there are reports that uh, consumers are getting less than 200 kilometers on the full charge. So 312 kilometers is the claim and consumers are getting less than 200. And that is where the backlash came in and there were consumers who wrote to the Delhi government saying that, you know, we are being fooled and you are giving an incentive thinking this car is great for the environment and you are being fooled as well because this car doesn't give what it is claiming. And the Delhi government in an interim move, they said that, you know, we looked at these allegations and they seem to be true and we are a little disappointed with the company. And so we are removing that one and a half lakh rupee subsidy that we are giving, giving to Nexon. Now, this is something which sets the cat amongst the pigeons because there will be problems on range. And we all know that range anxiety is a big factor in an EV. If you buy a car, which is a petrol or a diesel car, and say some the manufacturer claims 25 kilometers to a liter, and you are getting only 17 or 18 in most cases, you will get that. Then it is not a, not a deal breaker because, okay, you are getting lower mileage, but you can always get it refueled. You will not be stranded on the road. Whereas if you buy an EV, which claims 300 kilometers, then you are saying that, okay, they claim 300, but it should at least give me 250, right? So I'm traveling from one place to the other and I'm going 200 kilometers every week is what I travel. So this car is good enough. I will buy this car and I will charge it once over the weekend and it will last me a good one week. If that is the calculation you're making and suddenly your car doesn't give you even 200, then you are starting to think that did I make the right choice because now I have to charge it during the week which may not be possible or not very desirable for you. So this is something that the industry needs to fix because you cannot have bloated claims especially with an EV because then the customer is getting stranded until and unless you have superchargers around where the car can be just fixed in a matter of 10 minutes and you get a 40% bump in charge. Unless you have that, it will be an issue and which the industry needs to fix. So price-wise, like I mentioned, you are almost there. If you have a charging point at home and you don't have too many kilometers to run in a week and you are just using the car for your your uh, you know, roundabouts within the city, you don't want to travel from one, one city to the next city, just in, inside the city, then an EV will make sense. But you have to take it with a pinch of salt that it may not give you the range that you are looking for. So that is where we need to sort ourselves out a bit. And the manufacturers need to be a little more responsible when they make claims. And the government should also look at these numbers a little more carefully. Great. So I have actually two questions. So let's start with the first one. We talked a lot about, you know, EV side of the story, right? But I mean, essentially, if we want to transition away from, you know, EVs to, uh, you know, from ICEs to EV, we also have to perhaps de-incentivize, you know, internal combustion engines. So do you think something like a green tax is possible in a low-income country like India when it comes to, uh, you know, a green tax on internal combustion engines? Or such, or does such a tax even, uh, does such a tax exist today? Okay, so this is uh, something that is, being discussed in the policy circles and uh, Nitin Gadkari openly came out and said that he has proposed a green tax on older vehicles. So if you have a petrol vehicle older than 10 years, then very soon probably you will have to pay a tax, uh, additional tax, which you don't have to pay right now because uh, your road uh, registration tax uh, is valid for 15 years. Now, personally, I would not like that 
because like you mentioned india is a we are not a very affluent country and buying a car is still out of reach for a lot many of us we have very old cars running around which is true so you need to have a scrapping scheme 15 years and above but if somebody has already paid the registration charges and the road tax for 15 years you should not have a suddenly come out with a sort of a very retrograde step where you say oh after 10 years you pay a little bit more because we want you to consider an ev let him be let him decide what is good or bad for him please don't decide for him you just have your policies and you tell him up front when he's buying a car what the policies are going to be like and if you have told him that your car is good enough for 15 years you just stand by that promise don't change it after 10 years and he he's he's in a fix this is something that has already happened in diesel cars where you know you bought a diesel car thinking its life is 15 years on the road in delhi and the court steps in and says that oh diesel 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 cars are polluting so 10 years and above your diesel car will be uh, you can't run the car in, in on the road i don't think it's a good step it it is retrograde but my my opinions don't count i am not i am not the policy maker but the policy makers are looking at it now if i can again uh, play advocate to the devil i think ice engine vehicles are already disincentivized and i will tell you why i in fact put out a twitter thread as well a few days back saying cars are the most taxed product in india so in terms of outright gst you have between 29% and going up to 50% for cars which puts it in the sin category this is the taxation that you have on cigarettes for example in that cigarettes are taxed a little lower because you know they top out at i think 45% in cars it goes up to 50% so you are taxing cars at more rate than cigarettes now how strange is that come on a car is not a sin to own a car is not a sin but you are still taxing it at that level which is okay i mean that's the government's call and you want to call it a sin that's all right and that's also okay so you're already taxing it at a very high level plus uh you have the petrol which goes inside the car and that is also taxed at insane levels right now we have almost 60% of the cost of of 1 liter of petrol simply on tax so when a crude price is still at $70 you are paying almost 100 rupees in some places in, in india for petrol now that petrol is also being consumed by a car owner or a two wheeler owner so again he is being disincentivized so i do not think there is any more need for disincentivizing uh, a a combustion engine uh, user yes you can again incentivize evs more so that when somebody goes inside a showroom and starts to do this cost analysis and metrics he all automatically decides that oh ev is making more sense and ice engine vehicles do not make more sense because of taxation because of fuel etc uh and already you have a 5% gst rate on electric vehicles and like i said 29% going up to 50% for petrol or diesel vehicles so there is already quite a bit of a gap you can still give out some more incentives maybe that is required but incentivize evs more rather than disincentivizing uh ice engine more because you have already disincentivized them enough i think please don't stretch it beyond the limit because then it becomes a little It, it's it starts to sound like the theater of the absurd if you start to do it so much great uh, samantha i vaguely remember you know maybe correct me if i'm wrong once you told me a story about how banks are not ready to lend to consumers who want to buy ev uh, am i right or uh, is this not is this not true can you and if if i'm right can you speak a little bit about that 
Yes, uh, I did tell you about that, and uh, it is uh, it is a big concern because again, that is one one thing we haven't touched upon, and good that this gives us the opportunity to talk about this. So basically, what is happening is uh, uh, EVs are expensive, like like as we know. I mean, the cheapest EV costs you fourteen lakh rupees, and to buy that kind of a vehicle, you will probably need some sort of a loan. And uh, then you have a lot of uh, industrial, the industrial users, the commercial users of EVs, the fleet users, who want to buy EVs in bulk, and so they go back to the banks for finance. Now, the concern among banks is that uh, what will be the residual price of an electric vehicle four years or five years down the line, and that is an unknown. And I will tell you why it is an unknown because we all. are very aware of how a lithium ion battery functions in a mobile phone when you buy a smartphone the initial first 6 months the battery backup is very good and then it starts to deteriorate every month month on month till the point when probably after 2 or 3 years your smartphone will be almost unusable because it will give you a backup of maybe only 5 or 6 hours so it is something a similar fear is there with uh, evs in the cars as well that that battery will deteriorate and that is the nature of lithium ion that it will deteriorate over time and so if you are getting a range of say 250 kilometers today 5 years down the line probably the range will drop to half if not lower maybe 130 or 140 so now if it's giving you 130 or 140 a car is anyway a depreciating asset what should be the price of that vehicle that is something that you don't know now if a bank is financing that car for you and you happen to default after 3 years and the bank wants to confiscate the vehicle and keep it with it with themselves they don't know at what price they will be able to sell that product and any banking correspondent will tell you that how they decide on the interest payment for any loan depends on what will be the residual value of that particular product if in the unlikely scenario of a default where they have to get the product back into their own fold so if you don't know the residual value how do you decide on what will be the terms and conditions of financing so that is a concern which is why banks are reluctant as of today to give out too many loans obviously if you are a very good uh, very healthy consumer with a very high sibil score the banks will still go ahead and give you a loan with a higher interest rate saying that oh this this customer is safe and there is very little chance that he will default so we don't have to think about residual value in this case at least but still they will charge a higher key, higher rate because you know they want to be a little more sure but if you happen to be a consumer who has no banking history for example or a not so great credit score the banks will be a little more wary about financing an ev to you these are we a normal ice combustion engine uh, vehicle because in a in an ice vehicle the parameters are very well mapped out you know 5 years hence what will be the price of a swift petrol for example if the if the price of it is 7 lakh rupees on road right now for a new car you know what it will be 5 years down the line because you know the market is there the pricing is there so the banks are very sure about what they are going to get so that is the concern that the residual value of an ev is not known and this is also something that a consumer needs to be aware of that probably your range will drop as you live with the car longer and if the range drops then you need to be a little more uh, i would not say circumspect but i would say that you should be prepared for that because all this while that you have spent with the car you have saved a lot of money 
because you're charging from a, from an electric socket, you're not paying for the petrol. So you're saving a lot of money. So maybe in, even if you use it for five years and the car becomes junk after that, almost junk, you are probably still in the, in the positive. But you need to be a little aware of that and that's all. Great. That's, that's amazing. That's such a fascinating story uh, about like banks being wary of, I mean, yeah, it's, it expanded my brain when I thought about that. Uh, so coming to a very big picture question, right? Uh, you touched upon this a little bit, but let's, let's expand on this topic about government's tax collection, right? Um, so just as a background, India collects lots of taxes from after importing oil. Um, and then that is basically a large chunk of India's revenue collection, especially the federal government. But I think state governments also collect some taxes. Uh, so, Sumant, I mean, has somebody thought about what would happen if India sort of like has, you know, the entire market is covered by EVs? And so what happens to this fiscal issue of tax collection and first of all like what percentage of what percentage of total revenue collection is from uh you know petrol and diesel taxes and explain us like how has anybody thought about this problem of evs rising on the one hand and uh, on the other hand let's say the petrol uh you know consumption goes down and so how does it impact the fiscal situation a uh, very good point and uh glad that you asked this because uh, in one word has anybody is anybody thinking about this the answer is no and which is what puts doubts into your mind uh, from the point of view of, a, of the of the policymakers what is going on because you are collecting a lot of money from selling oil and i don't know in percentage terms how much of it is from oil but i know for a fact that almost 5 lakh crore is what the oil sector's contribution to both the national and state exchequer is. I think the national government, the central government collects something about 3 lakh and above crore, 3 lakh crore and above uh, from oil every year. And the state government gets about 2.7 lakh crore if I'm, or there about in that vicinity. So together you are collecting almost 5 lakh crore plus from oil alone. This is by way of excise duties. This is by way of the dividends that your oil marketing companies pay you. This is by way of VAT in the case of uh, state governments. So all combined, it's a humongous figure. And last year in 2020, when the economy was down in the dumps because of the pandemic and lockdown, excise duties was the only subhead of the government revenue which posted a growth. It posted a growth even though your oil consumption during the year actually went down. So you sold less oil, but you gained more out of it because you increased your excise duties by 13 to 16 rupees per liter. So even by selling less oil, you are, you are gaining more. But even after that, the government actually wants consumers to use more oil. Just last week, there was a report that Indian Oil Corporation is investing billions of dollars to expand their refinery uh, in Mathura or, or Panipat, I think. So they are, they are expanding refineries. They are opening up more petrol pump stations. And all of them are expanding refineries. Indian Oil, BPCL, Reliance, they are all expanding their refineries. So they are not holding tight or they are not tapering it down thinking, oh, five years down the line, it will be EVs. So where will all this oil go? No, they are very clear that oil consumption is will continue to go, grow up. 
and the government is hopeful that oil consumption continues to grow because they will get more taxes and which is what i was saying that the right hand doesn't know what the left hand is up to so if the ministry of heavy industries is going all gung ho about evs and niti aayog is going all gung ho about evs the ministry of petroleum and natural gas is actually going all gung ho about oil consumption so then some something is something is not right how can both be very gung ho about each other i mean their own respective selves because it's not some third party who is going to come and use evs it is the petrol car user today who will shift to an ev which will have an impact on your petrol consumption and if it is going to have a petrol petrol consumption impact then oil ministry should be worried and the central government should be worried that oh where is going to you know all that all that tax that i am collecting today where is that going to come from if oil consumption goes down but it's very clear that it is not going going to go down and so they are sitting pretty so which is what i'm which is what i say that where is this headed why is there no concerted effort at bringing all of this together because it may not happen in 10 years but eventually by 2040 or 2050 the impact on oil consumption is going to come because evs is going to take off it may not take off like i said it may not take off in 5 years it may not take off in maybe even 10 years but eventually it will have an impact and we are not talking about that impact we are not thinking about what will happen where maybe the fiscal responsibility has to shift from oil to something else to compensate for it and similarly like i said for the grid connectivity that the grid needs to change and the ministry of power is not really thinking about that the state dis- power distribution companies do not have the financial health to be able to do that and we are not talking about that we are not talking about the fiscal responsibility for oil that the taxation has to move to somewhere else and you cannot be taxing power consumers for example because then it will have a huge boomerang effect if you really jack up prices of power then even non non ev users are also getting penalized because you are using power for your electricity in the house it's the same power which goes into the ev so you cannot be penalizing them then you need to get the get the tax from somewhere else and we are not talking about that the government is not talking about that so if the government is not talking about that then the only conclusion that i can draw is that this whole talk about ev is actually only talk that in if in in effect the government knows nothing major is going to happen in the next at least 10 to 15 years and they are sitting pretty that is what my conclusion is that here is all always fashionable to talk about evs but in reality the government knows it's not going to happen anything <laughs> that's great yeah i i was uh, building up to that uh, but but before that i you it, it's great that suman mentioned that there's so much talk on ev but still oil there's so much planning happening around oil so much expansion happening uh, it just came to my mind at the same time you know there are a lot of uh, aggressive planning uh, happening ambitious planning i'd say happening in ev as well you know ola is building this huge center in bangalore dedicated to electric mobility electric vehicles then i was reading up recently tamil nadu is becoming such a huge hub for electric vehicles there are so many two wheeler and four wheeler companies that are there and leading companies are, as you also mentioned are talking about ev but then at the same time there is no one who is incentivizing either ev or disincentivizing petrol and diesel car amidst all this what do you think is the way 
to you know go forward in electric mobility what needs to be done in terms of policy public communication and you know building this consciousness around uh, electric mobility okay great so uh, first on the point of ola electric uh, i would i know what they are saying and what what all announcements they are making i would take it with a sort of a pinch of salt because uh, they are what they are saying is very very simply very very outlandish uh, when you say that you will have uh, you know a factory that will manufacture i don't know how much they said 2 million or something 2 million uh, two wheelers electric two wheelers every year that number is humongous that is the the, the biggest two wheeler manufacturer in india right now which is hero they are making about 7.5 million uh, 7 uh, 75 lakh uh, two wheelers every year and then you are talking about a number from a rank nobody who has not made any vehicle yet to be talking about a number which is even bigger i mean it's it's outlandish it's, it's simply stupendous if they are able to do it i don't know how they will they will be able to do it manufacturing is one thing but selling is quite another how they will sell those these many two wheelers i don't know let's wait and watch uh but the numbers are quite big scarily big uh which is why i'm saying i'll take it with a pinch of salt uh having said that yes uh, tamil nadu and telangana they are emerging as hotspots and it's not surprising because tamil nadu already is an auto hub you have so many manufacturers already there and so it's very obvious that tamil nadu will become a hub for evs and i expect that maybe gujarat will also become another hub for evs because that's also an auto hub uh as far as incentives are concerned yes the strategy should be to maybe not incentivize evs the vehicles so much but i think the real need is to incentivize setting up charging stations because that is where the business plan is still a little hazy that you can set up a charging station but you will not have vehicles coming in to charge very often because the number of vehicles is less and so maybe you need to give them some sops so that they keep afloat till such time that you have more vehicles on the road who are able to use your charging points also you need high capacity superchargers as well not just the basic 15 ampere sockets where it takes an eternity to charge a vehicle now these superchargers they cost a lot of money and we are not manufacturing them in india right now they are all getting manufactured in europe so we need that industry to take off so the real challenge right now is less with products it is more with the infrastructure which is to charge and that is where the government focus ought to be that is where the government needs to handhold entrepreneurs and industry players that please set up charging points please set up uh, superchargers we will probably give you uh, land at reduced rates in very peak areas uh, have probably multimodal kind of a parking parking lots where you have uh, charging points everywhere and bill it in some way or the other maybe leave it free for some time till such time you know it proliferates and then you start charging them uh, so some sort of a out of the box thinking innovation incentives is required on the charging aspect not so much on the uh, on the product aspect because like i mentioned we are almost reaching parity and globally the lithium ion prices are dropping very fast we are almost close to the uh, $100 per kilowatt hour kind of range uh typically if it comes down to below 80 we will reach parity with petrol and diesel 
like i mentioned beforehand we are we have already sufficiently disincentivized petrol and diesel cars and there is a lot the whole majority of people are still using these cars so please don't burden them more they know what is coming they are they are all gung ho about evs and they want to switch to that bandwagon like i said uh, just the other day the calls that i get uh, nowadays people just call me and inquire about cars and they tell me upfront that probably this is the last time i am buying a uh, internal combustion engine vehicle the next time i go back into the showroom will be for an ev so i'm buying a car right now maybe i will live with it for another 5 6 7 years and then after 5 years when i go back into the showroom it will be for an ev so a lot of people are already openly saying this and they know that right now ev doesn't make sense but in 5 years time it will it will make sense and the next car will be an ev and from a product perspective i can tell you once you use an ev you are not going back to an ice engine ever the performance is so thrilling the experience is so novel and new and it is so effortless you will never go back to an ice engine ever so you already have so much going for you the only bits is about how to charge that is only that is the only big problem that you have so we need policy support there the product will take care of itself the industry is very big it is one of the most advanced industries across the world the industry will take care of itself it is the charging that needs support and that is where the focus ought to be wow fascinating well thank you so much suman we had such an amazing conversation thank you sandeep thank you thank you shreya for more information about the podcast visit us online at www.101reporters.com/podcast/the underscore India underscore energy underscore out. You can also reach out to us on social media and send us your comments and suggestions. My Twitter handle is at Sandeep Pai with a double I and Shreya's Twitter handle is at Shreya underscore J.